Hello, this is Discover, and we take customer service very seriously. We know that if you have a question or concern about your credit card, that's a serious matter, and you need to talk to a real person about it. So we offer around-the-clock access to seriously talented representatives in the USA. Again, it's a serious endeavor. The only funny thing about it is Bob. If you call us and Bob answers, you're in for a treat. Get 100% U.S.-based customer service and talk to a real person day or night. Discover exceptionally common sense. You are nothing but a slave to the government. They're stealing your money, your hard-earned money. So why do you even need to pay taxes? They're nothing but a scam. And who's going to know? Do you think the IRS has time to go after a little guy like you? They're way too busy telling the big fish. Besides, paying taxes is not American. Remember what our forefathers said, no taxation without representation. And right now, your elected officials are not doing a very good job of representing you. What has the government done for you? Think about it. Who needs your money more? You or filthy rich Uncle Sam? Hey, I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. Sean O'Hare, 2003. As the years go by... I hear more and more people saying, oh, that was way ahead of its time. Ah, the devil tempting us to do things has been going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Come on, you could take that. It's it's okay. You're a human. You make mistakes. You worked hard. You're entitled to a little bit. There's no, re- there's no reason why you can't bang that. Hey, you're human. You have wants. You got needs. It's, it's not stuff he's telling you that you don't already know. God rest Sean O'Hare's soul. Take it from us way too soon. Obviously, his own demise created it, but still, what could have been, what should have been, and what might have been, Sean O'Hare. Anyway, with that said, what's up, everyone? This week in wrestling history, once again, I am Don Tony, and this week we are going to cover the period of January 16th through January 22nd. It's going to be a loaded episode, lots of Royal Rumble memories, lots of sound clips this week. And I really hope you enjoy this episode because, believe me when I tell you, as much of the hard work that's involved with research, putting this all together, getting sound clips, boosting the audio, it's almost as fun to gather all this information uh, as it is to sit back and enjoy it. So I really hope you enjoy these episodes. So let's start it off. 1971, this week in wrestling history, pretty important moment. In WWWF history, Ivan Koloff defeated Bruno San Martino to win the World Heavyweight Championship. That ended Bruno's WWWF title run at 2,803 days. You know, we always talk in recent years of how impressive CM Punk's 434-day run was. Imagine multiplying that by six. And I don't even think you would reach 2,803. Let's say 434 times 6. 400 times 6 is 2,400. 34 times 6 is 204. So, yeah, it's impressive. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, now, San Martino would become champion once again in 1973. And he would hold the title for over three more years before beating, uh, being defeated by superstar Billy Graham in 77. So there you go. Speaking of 77, this week in history, it is Howard Finkel's anniversary of his WWF ring announcing debut. 
He first did announcing for WWF on January 17th, 1977. The main event that night, Ken Patera over Bruno by Countout. And just another match that you might find interesting. I haven't seen the footage of it, but I'm going to search and hopefully find it. Because how often did you hear Bruiser Brody wrestling in a WWF ring, WWF ring? It was, you know, he worked the territories. He was here for a cup of coffee. And that night, Ivan Putski fought Bruiser Brody to a double DQ. They just battled outside the ring. So uh, this week in history. 1985, this week, Mike Rotunda and Barry Windham defeated Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch to win the WWF Tag Titles. You know, I think people forget how great the promos were, hyping up Adonis and Murdoch as a tag team in WWF. You know, we, we remember the vignettes of Dr. D, David Schultz, you know, threatening to hit his woman and beat up his kids and this, this and that. I remember a lot of vignettes of Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis. I think Adrian Adonis, well, we all knew his storyline, you know, supposed to be from New York City when he teamed up with Jesse Ventura. It was the East-West Connection. Well, they did vignettes where Adrian Adonis visited Dick Murdoch's ranch. And I remember them. And it was it was good because Dick Murdoch never really got a tremendous push in WWF, but he was one of those guys that was under the radar that was an excellent talent. And this week in 85, they uh, put over Rotundo and Wyndham for the tag titles. 1990, WWF presents the Royal Rumble from Orlando, Florida. This would be the last WWF pay-per-view called by Tony Schiavone. Shortly thereafter, he returned to WCW, and he remained there until WCW closed its doors in 2001. And in case you're curious, Hulk Hogan won that Royal Rumble, eliminating Mr. Perfect uh, at the very end. 1991, WWF presented Royal Rumble. This would be the last WWF pay-per-view to take place on a Saturday night. The result of that Royal Rumble, Hulk Hogan won again, became becoming the first man to win multiple Royal Rumble matches. And for the record, since then, Shawn Michaels won the Royal Rumble pay-per-view twice. Steve Austin is the only man so far who has won it three times. And in the case of HBK, he won it back-to-back in 95 and 96. And I think Austin won it back-to-back as well. When I get up to those years, we'll definitely cover it. Also, on that same pay-per-view to Royal Rumble 91, Sergeant Slaughter defeated the Ultimate Warrior to win the WWF title. That was the whole anti-American thing. And you look back on it, and Randy Savage hit um, the, uh, the, the Warrior with the scepter. And you kind of like, I know Warrior and Savage were feuding, but why would Savage want a person with anti-America winning the title, blah, 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 whatever. We didn't overanalyze back then. 1992, a match that I know people have shit on over the years, but I watched it the other day, and it's a lot of fun. Took place this week. Clash of the Champions 18, Mick Foley defeated Van Hammer in a Falls Count Anywhere match. If you've never seen the match, you got the WWF Network, go watch it. I think it's a lot of fun, especially when you realize 1992, way before ECW really, you know, started taking it to the extreme. And, you know, even, you know, right around the time that, you know, Cactus would ultimately go to Japan and have those wars with Terry Funk. 
So it is fun to look back at 92 and see matches like this. No, it wasn't a bloodbath or anything like that, but I just thought the match was a lot of fun. Now, we go to 1992's Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Now, this match served as a template for future Royal Rumbles because beginning with the 1993 Royal Rumble, the winner of that match would be guaranteed a world championship match at WrestleMania. And um, obviously, we know the result that happened that night. Ric Flair won the heavyweight title by far, by far, by far. The 1992 Royal Rumble match is my favorite Royal Rumble match of all time. And I'm going to share with all of you three clips that took place that night. One is pretty legendary. It's Ric Flair's promo after winning the title. But another one also is a dub that WWE did at that time as well. WWE wasn't really known at that time to be uh, tweaking with crowd reactions and stuff like that. We hear it today with the, the way that they treat Roman Reigns and some others. But in 1992, this was a little bit odd or a little out of the ordinary. But first, but first, Ric Flair's promo winning the WWF title and Mean Gene Oakland with a little line thrown in there. And if you watch the video, yeah, somebody really was smoking. Enjoy. With a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one. When you are the king of the WWF, you rule the world. Think about it like that, Mr. Perfect. Guys, we're not playing. Woo! Woo! Let's give a big one. Woo! I was never so impressed with anything I've ever seen in all my life. He went out there for over 60 minutes, never took a back step, took it to Hogan, took it to The Undertaker, took it to whoever got in that ring. That's why he is, hey, Bobby called now, we're, the real world's heavyweight champion. We're not the kind of guys to say, we told you so, but I we told you so. so. <laughs> okay, very good. Rick Flair, you have made world... Put that cigarette out. You have made World Wrestling Federation history here tonight. It's the greatest moment of my life. I want to jump. I want to party. But I got to tell you like this. For the Hulk Hogan's and the Macho Man's and the Pipers and the Sids. Now it's Ric Flair. And you all pay homage to the man. Woo! I love it. Put that cigarette out. <laughs> it's funny shit. Now, something else uh, happened that night. Well, it really didn't happen that night. It actually happened uh, a week or two after the Royal Rumble aired. Now, if you watch this back on the WWE Network, they do have the original crowd reaction in there. They do have the original commentary in there. But what a lot of people don't know is that when Hulk Hogan was eliminated by Sid Justice in this match... You know, the crowd popped and WWF was not prepared for the crowd to be so like uh, appreciative or receptive and enjoying the fact that Hulk Hogan was eliminated in the match. 
So when we watched WWF television the preceding weeks and they were showing some highlights of the Royal Rumble match, especially the finish, the reaction of the crowd seemed different. And even the commentary seemed different. Now, at that time, we didn't have internet. At that time, we didn't have DVDs. It was VHS and you had pay-per-view. And you had the replay that would air like for the following week. And that was it. And I did not tape the Royal Rumble pay-per-view when it went down. I've taped a lot of pay-per-views since then, and I still have the originals. But So I never had the original at that time to reference to confirm what a lot of people suspected, that WWF changed the commentary of the end of that match. But since the years go by and we have pretty much access to everything now, we have the audio. So first, I'm going to share with everyone the original commentators, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan, calling the actual moment when Sid Justice eliminates Hulk Hogan. Listen to the crowd in the background. Listen to their commentary. Now, I want you to hear the very same moment, but how it was portrayed on television the preceding weeks. Notice the crowd booing, notice the Hogan chants, and notice Monsoon and Heenan having a totally different take on what went down. So there you go. Interesting. I have a feeling a lot of you out there never even know that that actually took place that night. So uh, also at the Royal Rumble, I should mention that Roddy Piper defeated the Mountie to become the Intercontinental Champion. And at that time, that was a big deal for us Piper fans because unless I'm really way off right now and I'm having a brain cramp, that was his first ever title in the WWF. So it was a big deal because, you know, you over the years, you've heard people have discussions of wrestlers that are so popular that they don't need a title. And we always thought about Snooker in WWF. So popular, he didn't need a title. We wish he would have had a title, but he didn't have a title. Same thing for Piper at that time. So when he got that intercontinental title, it was a cool moment that a lot of people, I think, underestimate as far as wrestling fans and Piper fans at that time. And, you know, I should have mentioned this when I was talking about Cactus versus Van Hammer, but that Clash of the Champions that took place this week in 92, that was the WCW debut of Jesse Ventura behind the mic. So interesting things went down this week in history. 1993, Mr. Perfect defeated Ric Flair on Monday Night Raw in a loser leaves WWF match. You remember that? I want Perfect! The WWF is not big enough for both of us. It sucked. It sucked. The match didn't suck. The match was great. But at that time, we didn't realize that Ric Flair was leaving. And yes, WWF was starting to go in a different direction and blah, 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 blah. But still, out of nowhere, we had Monday Night Raw debut a week before. And the next thing you know, Ric Flair's gone. 
from the WWF, he would eventually obviously go back to WCW. And, you know, we know the history since then. 1994, at a house show in the city, Rick Steiner and Ludwig Borga fought to a double countout. Why am I mentioning this? Because at that time, WWF was seriously considering giving Ludwig Borga a title run. And some actually thought they were considering a world title run. Now, obviously, as you hear this episode, lots of Royal Rumbles took place this week in wrestling history. Not saying that, you know, Ludwig Borger was supposed to win the Royal Rumble. If you remember, it was Bret Hart and Lex Luger. It had the controversy. And because there were two Royal Rumble winners, both Luger and Hart would get championship matches at WrestleMania. And since they didn't really have three-way dances at that time, they did a coin toss determining who would get their championship match first. And, you know, the rest was history. Lex won the toss, went on to face Yokozuna with that winner to face Bret Hart in the main event. And we know the history. But during this time, you know, Ludwig Borga was supposed to face uh, Tatanka at the Royal Rumble, but because he injured his ankle during that match with Rick Steiner, they substituted Ludwig Borga with Bam Bam Bigelow, and uh, Ludwig Borga would never wrestle for the company again. So think about how wrestling would have changed in 1994 if Ludwig Borga didn't have that ankle injury in that match with Rick Steiner. So just makes you think about it a little bit. Another match that was pretty important for this pay-per-view the casket match between Undertaker and Yokozuna. Yokozuna got the victory. And if you remember, he got help from like 85 different wrestlers who came out and attacked Undertaker, hitting their finishing moves. I remember the head shrinkers, Jeff Jarrett, Adam Bomb, Bam Bam, God rest his soul, Crush, and others. They all came out were hitting their finishers to help destroy the Undertaker. And Undertaker got thrown in the casket, but... We all remember it for the corny finish, and if you never saw it, go check it out. Basically, the casket was shown exploding onto a screen, even though inside the arena, the casket didn't explode at all. After the explosion was shown, a person supposedly representing The Undertaker was seen rising to the ceiling, that glow trying to play off that The Undertaker is still alive. Well, I, I take that back. We actually thought that he had died and gone to wrestling heaven. And, you know, over the years, people have asked, you know, like who actually played that silhouette of The Undertaker. And you would think, all right, maybe they pre-recorded it for special effects purposes. But word has gone around over the years that Marty Jannetty was actually the person dressed in The Undertaker outfit backstage doing the silhouette. So, uh, interesting match, corny finish, but you got to remember the era that we were in at that time. You know, it was what it was. 1995, another Royal Rumble. Diesel and Bret Hart went to a draw during that pay-per-view for the WWF title. And I got to be honest with all of you. I know people have shitted on Kevin Nash's in-ring ability over the years. Not talking about the NWO storyline or anything like that. People out there have been very critical of Kevin Nash's in-ring ability, which I think is just totally unfair. You think of the size of the guy, he's not supposed to be having fucking five-star matches. But I'll tell you, I will make this claim right now that the match that he had against Bret Hart at the 95 Royal Rumble is one of Kevin Nash's best matches of all time. 
It's a great fucking match. So you might have a difference in opinion on it, but you know, you watch, you know, Diesel and Bret Hart fight for the WWF title on that pay-per-view. I thought they had a pretty damn good match. For those that are curious, Shawn Michaels eliminated British Bulldog to win the Royal Rumble uh, match and would go on to WrestleMania 11 for the WWF title. Um, one note to point out regarding the 95 Royal Rumble match. It lasted 38 minutes, 41 seconds long. This was the shortest 30-man Royal Rumble match in WWE history. Uh, and basically, the reason why it was so short, the entrance in this Royal Rumble match entered every 60 seconds instead of every 90 seconds or every two minutes. So you watch that match before you know it, it's done. 1996's Royal Rumble. This is the first Royal Rumble to feature entrance music for every participant. Going up to 1996, they would air the entrance music for whoever drew number one and whoever drew number two. This time, they played entrance music for everybody. Shawn Michaels last eliminated Diesel in this match to win the Royal Rumble and go on to uh, WrestleMania 12. And Shawn Michaels, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, became the second person to win back-to-back Royal Rumbles, joining Hulk Hogan in 1990 and 1991. 1996, Raw from Stockton, California. Bret Hart defeated Goldust by submission. Why am I mentioning this? It is the first televised loss for Goldust since he debuted in the WWF as the Goldust character. Uh, the big news also coming out from that Raw was the TV debut of Vader. Now, Royal Rumble 1996, Vader did debut the previous night of the pay-per-view. Uh, but, you know, he did the storyline where he attacked Gorilla Monsoon and Vader was suspended as a result. They kept him off TV until February. And, you know, there's people over the years who have made the claim that this was the first time a wrestler ever, quote-unquote, physically attacked an on-screen authority figure in WWF history. And that could very well be, because I originally thought, oh, wait a minute, Pat Patterson was attacked in interview segments, so was Bruno, but they weren't playing authority figures. They were playing announcers, so that could very well be. 1998, Royal Rumble from San Jose, California. This event is noted for Shawn Michaels having his casket match against The Undertaker. Shawn Michaels would take a backdrop onto the edge of the casket, suffered the infamous back injury, which forced him into retirement two months later. So there you go. That Royal Rumble match itself, Steve Austin became the second straight back-to-back Royal Rumble winner. As I mentioned earlier, Hogan and Shawn Michaels were the only two others to win it back-to-back I should point out that there were others who won multiple Royal Rumbles. John Cena, 2008-2013, Batista, 05 and 2014, and obviously the other three, Hogan, Austin, and Shawn Michaels. But as far as winning it back-to-back, Hogan, Michaels, Austin. Mick Foley also is the only person to this day to enter the Royal Rumble three different times. In 1998, he came in as Cactus Jack, Mankind, and Dude Love. Following night on Monday Night Raw, as we told you last week, Mike Tyson inked a deal with WWF. He showed up on WWF television. Vince McMahon was going to announce Mike Tyson 
his involvement at WrestleMania 14, and they were interrupted by Steve Austin. For those who want to flash back to what went down on Monday Night Raw that night, 1998, here's the audio. And if you heard my show last week, you heard me criticize why WWF needs to stop always having fan polling in moments in WWF history. As the years go by and you get newer fans, the magnitude of moments from 20 years ago, 25 years ago, aren't as strong. You realize how important this moment was with Tyson and Austin and how it got so much press from it. I mean, it was just a major, major moment in WWF history. And when you see fans now, and I don't blame young fans because they may not have lived through the Attitude Era, so they see the clip, Tyson and Austin, you ruined it, you ruined it, you ruined it. You know, it's entertaining, but it may, may not be a special moment to them. Instead, they put fucking Roman Reigns getting booed because he beat The Undertaker at Mania in the top fucking five or whatever it was. But anyway, here you go, 1998, uh, Mike Tyson, Steve Austin, Vince McMahon. You ruined it, you ruined it, you ruined it. All right, Mr. Austin, why are you here? Because I'm sick and tired of seeing Mike Tyson. He comes in, he's shaking everybody's hands, making friends with all the WWF superstars, and it's made me so damn sick I've been in the back throwing up. Yeah, me too. I ain't going to shake your damn hand because I ain't out here to make friends with you. Mike, I need to shut up. I respect, I respect what you've done in the boxing world. But Jesus Christ, son, when you step in this ring, you're messing with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that's something you don't do. Yeah, you're on a different planet now. Let me make it short and sweet. What I'm telling you is I want a piece of Mike Tyson's ass. Whoa! Shut up. Don't say one word, Vince. I'll knock your damn lights out, too. I respect what you've done, Mike. But you're out here calling yourself the baddest man on the planet. Right now, you got your little beady eyes locked on the eyes of the world's toughest son of a bitch. I could beat you any day of the week. Twice on Sunday. Do I think I do I think you could beat my ass? Hell no. Do I think I could beat your ass? Why hell yeah? I don't know how good your hearing is, but if you don't understand what I'm saying, I always got a little bit of sign language. So here's to you.
Man, I think back to that moment and the fucking national press that took place covering that was major, major. So my top five of all-time WWF moments. And believe me, I've watched every episode of Monday Night Raw in real time, not looking back on the network. Yes, I channel surfed a lot of times when Nitro was on as well, but still went through it, watched through the whole thing. Uh, Tyson and Austin that night, major, major moment in WWF history. And if you ever watch that clip again and you don't notice, you know, two little tidbits that I noticed from that night. Number one, you know, when you listen to Steve Austin, trash talk Mike Tyson, if you notice, one of Mike Tyson's posse actually has a Stone Cold hat on. And the second thing is, and I'm sure you've probably heard this story over the years, when Austin and Tyson shoved each other and they had that big pull apart, Mike Tyson had a bunch of $100 bills in his pocket. So when he flew backwards, all the money fell out of his pocket into the ring. And if you just keep focus on Mike Tyson's entourage in the ring while everything is going on, Tyson and Austin, Tyson, you'll see them scrambling to pick up the $100 bills. Funny little tidbits, but it was a memorable night without a doubt. This week in 1999, NWO sold out pay-per-view. Goldberg defeats Scott Hall in a ladder and taser batch. It's not as bad as it sounds. And I get a kick out of how people online bring up that match and they blame Vince Russo. Meanwhile, Vince Russo didn't join WCW until late 99. <laughs> that same pay-per-view, though, Chris Jericho defeated Saturn and the stipulation that night, Saturn, since he lost, he was forced to wear a dress for 30 days. 2000, WCW presented, sold out, uh, the original card was heavily changed. Jeff Jarrett, Bret Hart suffered injuries. Obviously, if you've been listening to these segments I've been doing the last bunch of weeks, we know that Bret Hart's concussion from the match with Goldberg would force him into retirement. As a result, both Bret Hart's WCW world title, Jeff Jarrett's United States title would both have to be vacated. And this would be the final match for Chris Benoit in WCW. He defeated Sid Vicious by submission to win the WCW World Heavyweight title. Arn Anderson was the special guest referee. They did a replay the following night showing that Sid Vicious had one of his legs under the bottom rope, so the, the title shouldn't have changed. And it was their way of vacating the title because what happened? Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, they all left WCW the following night. They walked out. They would show up in WWF shortly thereafter as the Radicals. And we know the rest that happened from there. You know, if you go back and you research what went down during that time when you had wrestlers walk out, there were other wrestlers who were actually going to quit as well. It's a great read for anyone that may not know a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that took place at that time when those wrestlers walked out. Uh, I should also mention that at the sold-out pay-per-view, Oklahoma defeated Medusa to win the WCW Cruiserweight title. And all I remember from that match is Oklahoma dumping barbecue sauce all over Medusa's chest. And I know Medusa has had some comments regarding that match in interviews years later. So, But remember when I mentioned moments ago that Jeff Jarrett had to relinquish the U.S. title because of injury? Well, that same pay-per-view, Kevin Nash wrestled Terry Funk for the United States title. Kevin Nash won. The following night on Nitro, Kevin Nash, who was the commissioner at the time, 
gave the belt to Jeff Jarrett. Go figure. And then after that, we had the storyline where everybody was stripped of the titles. Look, it was a mess at that time. You had so many people leaving, threatening to leave. They, it was Everything was in disarray. That same week, near 2000, Steve Austin underwent neck surgery to remove a bone spur that was affecting his spinal cord. Luckily for Steve Austin, he would make a full recovery and would return later on in the year 2000. This week in history of 2001, WWF had the Royal Rumble from the New Orleans Arena in New Orleans. Steve Austin last eliminated Kane to win the Royal Rumble match and get a title shot at WrestleMania 17. As I said earlier, this made him the first and to this day only person to have won the Royal Rumble three times. One thing that we remember from this pay-per-view as well, Kane doing all of those eliminations during the match. He broke the record that was held by Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan for most eliminations. I think he had eliminated 11 that night, and then they had Roman Reigns break the record. He eliminated 12. Year 2002 at the Royal Rumble, Ric Flair defeated Vince McMahon in a street fight. It's a match that we don't hear talked about all that much. Very, very bloody match. But if you've never seen it, go out of your way. Go check it out. It is uh, it is entertaining. You know, Not the greatest match, but it was a fun match. But it was very important to set up the next storyline. And I got to be honest, I haven't watched these vignettes since 2002, but I watched them today for the first time since then. And I'm not going to play all four or five vignettes that Vince McMahon did on SmackDown later on in the week, but they were epic. And if you actually go back and watch it, I mean, Vince did some pretty decent acting here. Now I'm going to paint the picture and then I'll let you hear three of these segments. Vince McMahon is sitting in a room all by himself, sitting in a leather chair in front of a mirror. You can't see the leather chair at all. And he's got a cup of coffee in his hand. And he's obviously depressed because of Ric Flair taking over WWE. And he feels that there is a poison interjected within WWE. And WWE is dying a slow death. And in the beginning, he's angry. He's frustrated. Then he's almost to the point of tears. Actually, he does cry in one of these segments. Then he has an idea. And he's talking to himself in these clips. But he has an idea that he knows he shouldn't do, and it's probably not the best thing, but if anybody's going to kill WWE, it's going to be him. And then at the very end, he's getting into the idea, almost to the point of orgasm. And then finally, they take the camera a little bit back somewhat. We get to see a little bit more of the leather chair. There's something inscribed at the back of the chair, and Vince McMahon reveals to us, that we are going to see returning to wrestling the following. It's a damn shame. But everything, everything on earth has to come to an end. I never thought, never thought it'd be like this. I never thought that one day my world would come crashing down around me. And you've got to understand. This is, this is my life. This is what I built. 
nobody helped me. I did it all on my own. And now someone's going to take it away from me? Someone gave... Someone gave cancer to the WWF. If there was any other way, if there was any other way, I would do it. I know this is not logical. I know this is not normal. But it's something that has to be done. You see, when you, when you care like I care, if you cared that much, You'll do it. It's got to be done. And you're not going to talk me out of it. No, no. No, you're not. Oh, I'm starting to feel it now. Oh, yeah. It's starting to feel WWF is going to die. I know that. The WWF has cancer because of Ric Flair. Flair's going to kill it. And the kind of cancer Flair gave the WWF is the slow eating kind of cancer. It's not quick. I'm not gonna let Ric Flair kill what I created. Me. The WWF is mine. It's mine. I created it. I'm not going to let Ric Flair kill what I created. Because I'm going to kill what I created. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill my creation. I'm going to inject the WWF 
with a lethal dose of poison. If anybody's gonna kill my creation, I'm gonna do it. Me. And the NW. That same night on SmackDown, I came across this little gem. And I'm not going to play the entire clip, but we all remember the amazing chemistry that The Rock and the coach used to have backstage with their interview segments. And this week in history on SmackDown, it was no different. Sunday night, certainly a night of the unexpected. Unfortunately for you... Last Sunday night, Royal Rumble was a night of the unexpected. The unexpected in which nobody ever thought they... You're not paying attention to what The Rock is saying, Coach? What is your mind elsewhere, Coach? What are you thinking about, Coach? What are you thinking about what you're going to do after the show? With all your friends? Is that what you're thinking about, Coach? What are you thinking about going dancing after the show? Is that what you're going to do? Huh? All right. Shut up! Well, The Rock says this. The Rock has an idea. Since you like dancing so much, and seeing as we are in the city we are in, why don't you, Coach, why don't you dance the Charleston? Shut your mouth. <laughs> you don't make any decisions around here, coach. Excuse me. Excuse the rock one second, coach. You don't make any decisions. Would you people like to see coach dance the Charleston? Yes! Right on. You see, Coach, they believe in you, The Rock believes in you, and we are on The Rock Show, we're on SmackDown, so Coach, why don't you dance the Charleston like you've never danced before? What this, Michael? You get no rhythm! You remember how to do the Charleston? You took dancing, shut up, you took dancing last night, came now dance at Charleston, Coach! Dance! Play that Barry Manilow music? Yeah! <laughs> dance! <laughs> Charleston, turn it. the other way! Yeah, turn the other way! <laughs> face the camera! Yeah, smile at everybody at home! You idiot. Bend over! <laughs> Get your monkey ass out of the rock picture! <laughs> as funny as that sounded, especially with the announcers, it was that funny. Go out of your way and see it. Watching the coach do the Charleston, I don't know, it always reminds me of, what was it, Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Funny, funny shit. Go seek it out. 2003's Royal Rumble. One of the worst wrestling matches of all time. And there is an old episode of the Minority Report hearing us talk about it. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of everything that went down at that time, but I'll give you a brief synopsis from what I remember. Scott Steiner was suffering from drop foot syndrome, 
And anybody that's been a loyal follower of the shows over the years, you know that when I had my car accident in 1996, I had suffered from drop foot syndrome as well. And if you do some research on it, it's a pretty serious thing. I mean, it really hinders the movement in your foot. You can't lift your foot. And when I had it, I had to get fit for a plastic cast where they put it, the cast, the mold went from underneath my knee all the way down to the, the bottom of my foot. And you would slip this brace inside your shoe and it would force your foot to lift up as you're walking. And by doing this along with therapy and exercises and, you know, standing on your tippy toes, you slowly regain the strength and the mobility in your foot. I was cured of it. And I think Scott Steiner was cured of it as well. But in 2003, it was pretty obvious that he did not have the mobility and his match against Triple H at this Royal Rumble is easily one of the worst matches in Royal Rumble history. It was terrible. And you know, I don't know what WWE was thinking at that time, you know, with Scott Steiner, you know, with the issue with his foot. I'm a huge Steiner fan, but it was very depressing to see him in that condition. Um, I would have rather have seen Scott Steiner perform the last couple of years making appearances with WWE than what I saw in 03. And yeah, look, he had his moments with Test and you know he he uh had better matches without a doubt. But Jesus, you look at that match against Triple H, it was fucking terrible. Now the same week, 2003, Hulk Hogan made his return to WWE on SmackDown. And, you know, the promo that he did wasn't anything really memorable. He was happy to be back. Vince came out, gave the bad mouth to Hogan. Hogan challenged him to a fight. Hogan cheap shot him, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's this whole synopsis of it. The reason why I remember this moment more than anything is the crowd reaction and the pop that Hogan got when he returned. Now, remember, he was in WWE in 02. He did the whole NWO storyline. So it's not like he was gone since 1985. He was off TV for a little bit, came back in 03. You know, the thing that sucks is when you watch this clip on a network, you know, they've dubbed over the, the entrance music. They actually had him come out to Voodoo Child this night. I kid you not. And yeah, there is a vid original footage online, but the audio quality is really Shangata. And when I play clips here, I want to give you the best quality possible. So I'm going to share with everyone what went down that night on SmackDown. And again, as I warned you at the beginning of this broadcast, the majority of this clip is just crowd noise, crowd reaction. But it just gives you an idea of the freaking love and pop that these fans have for Hogan. And I know there's going to be some of you out there that can say, oh, it's 15 years later. Oh, you know, he did those racist comments. He ain't like like he used to be. You know, thank God in this country, you're given a second chance. People do fall and they get up and they learn from their mistakes. And for a very long time, I was so critical of Hogan and so many things towards his family, the way they handled the John Graziano incident. I mean, Hogan has me blocked on Twitter. And and I told the story before about writing him the long letter and this is an ad and, and somebody, you know, actually delivered it to him. And remember when he was, he wanted forgiveness for everyone and he was forgiving everybody. I, I'm still blocked. But that doesn't take away the fact that I was a Hulkamania growing up, huge fan. 
And I just had chills watching this crowd reaction in 2003. It was awesome. So if you want to seek out the video and see it with your eyes, by all means. But if you just want to sit back and just hear how long this reaction was, enjoy it. Now, keep in mind when you hear this, I did not include the three minutes of his entrance music as the crowd was going nuts. And they went to a commercial break that was three minutes long. So as you're listening and enjoying this clip, keep in mind that there is six minutes of crowd reaction that is not included. Enjoy.
You know, Hulkamaniacs, I came here tonight to make one announcement. And that announcement is, I just signed a brand new contract. Jack, and one more time, all over the world, Hulkamania is gonna run wild, brother! But you know something, Maniacs? I've got a lot of unfinished business in the WWE, and apparently, by the looks of things in the back, I got a lot of brand new business I'm gonna have to take care of. But this time, I'm gonna do it the right way. This time, with the red and yellow on, I'm gonna do it with each and every one of you. and the Hulkamaniacs are going to march in the battle together, damn it. And I don't care how high the deck is stacked against us. I don't care how strong the forces are against us. We're going to march in the battle and fight the forces of evil together, brothers. And I don't care what it takes. One way or the other, we're going to come out victorious, maniacs! But you know something? I'm going to have to be quite honest with you. This just might very well be our last journey together. But I give you my solemn word, I will not let you down this time. And if this is our final hour together, let this be the greatest of them all.
arrived here just a few minutes ago. Uh, like all of you, I was curious to what Stephanie's big surprise was going to be. And I know I speak for everybody in this arena when I say I am terribly disappointed. <laughs> Stephanie, Stephanie, I give you the autonomy to run your own show and make your own decisions. Did you give me this? This is not 1985. This is the year 2003. And I don't want to offend you or anything, but I would suggest to you that uh, Hulkamania and the recently departed Al Wilson have one thing in common. Uh, they're both dead. Mr. McMahon, you've just given me an idea. Seeing how this might very well be my last comeback in the WWE, I want to make sure I do things the right way. And the first WWE superstar I want to climb in the ring with the first WWE superstar I want to face nose to nose and the first WWE superstar that I want to kick the living hell out of is you. Drop! 
So there you go. I tell you, man, you know, I don't know anybody this day and age that would get a pop like that in wrestling if they were to appear or return. I, I believe me, not Austin. It, you don't try to think of someone. I mean, Goldberg had a really nice reaction when he came back last year, but to a pop like that, <laughs> it ain't happening. It ain't happening. 2007. It was such a sad moment in wrestling. It was a sad moment for me personally. And, you know, if you want to hear a really uh, cool couple of stories regarding the little bit of a friendship that I built with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow for the final couple of years that he was on this earth, you know, go check out YouTube, go on TV Tracks' channel, just type in Don Tony and Bam Bam Bigelow. You'll see the clip where I tried to sell the ECW ring for him. And it leads to a funny story and somebody, you know, screwing us over for money. And then Bam Bam wanted me to sell his memorabilia on eBay and, you know, a lot of personal talk. And I will always credit Mass Maniac for, you know, introducing me personally to Bam Bam Bigelow because the original, you know, idea was I was going to try to help him sell the ECW ring. But then I talked to Bam Bam off the line, had his phone number, talked to him repeatedly uh, Bam Bam really, really had a special place in his heart for Mass Maniac and vice versa. And there's so many things that all of you out there probably don't even know with Bam Bam. You know, the, the problems at the end of his marriage, how his wife ripped him off for hundreds of thousands of dollars. You'll probably never even heard of the 1-900 number that he was doing for football picks and other stuff. Never made public. But if you want to hear just my personal, um, you know, interactions with him, go seek the YouTube clip. But it was this week in 2007 uh, that he passed away in Florida. He was only 45 years old. Really, really fucking sad. And believe me, for the haters out there, I'm not bringing up, you know, the, the little relationship that I built with him for the four plus years towards the end. You know, it's not to name drop, but it'd be like, ah, I was fended. You weren't. No, I just telling you from a personal level, you know, this guy was a really, really down to earth, cool, special guy. I mean, even when he opened up his hamburger shop, trying to fucking sell hamburgers, he tried, man. But once he had that motorcycle accident, I, I still remember. I And if any of you out there do talk to Mass Maniac still, go seek him out. He will tell you, I am not exaggerating one bit of anything that I'm saying right now. Bam Bam left wrestling in the mid-2000s because the temptation of doing narcotics, the pain of taking bumps. He used to speak to Mass Maniac and me on the phone on three-way, and he would just insist he's got to stay away from If he's going to survive on this earth, he's got to get away from wrestling. He's got to get away from wrestling. Got to get away from wrestling. And I still hear those conversations in my mind and uh it's a shame it really is man and there's a lot of rumors of him going into the wwe hall of fame this year i'm recording this on sunday january 21st so who knows by the time you hear this maybe wwe made an announcement that he's in the hall of fame he definitely deserves it um you know i think vader deserves it as well but if you're gonna put two big men in that aren't in there right now i would put bam bam bigelow and vader 
uh, easily. Those two deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Someone this week is celebrating an anniversary employed with WWE. It was this week in 2008 on WWE's ECW programming. This wrestler came out for his match. WWE labeled him as their first ever Jamaican superstar. It was none other than Kofi Kingston. He made his debut this week in 2008. And for those of the curious who his opponent was on ECW, ah, legend, David Owens. Also this week in 2008, WWE enters the high definition era. They went high def. And I know we've cracked jokes over the years that because it's high definition, you could see a lot of little imperfections of certain wrestlers. We've commented about the yellow teeth that some people had. I'm not going to mention any names or the bad acne or, you know, back knee that people have seen. But for those that are curious, the first ever match that WWE had in high definition was Shawn Michaels versus Mr. Kennedy. So there you go. 2009, WWE released Hardcore Holly. 2010, Serena Deeb, who you may see return to WWE very, very soon. She officially joined the Straight Edge Society. It was SmackDown this week where CM Punk shaved her head bald. That same week, TNA presented the Genesis pay-per-view. This was the first pay-per-view under the Hogan-Bischoff regime in TNA. And this was the first time that TNA used the traditional four-sided ring, which I have said repeatedly, look, the six-sided ring, cool concept, cool visual, but Jesus, anybody out there over the years ever turned around and said, hey, I got to watch that because it's a six-sided ring? No. I mean, obviously, watching a six-sided ring, when you see that, you know, you look at it, even if you're just watching, you, you walk by a fucking bodega and they got TV on, the, on uh, you know, wrestling on the TV and you're not even watching it. You just going in to buy a pack of cigarettes and you see wrestling on there and you see the six-sided ring. You don't even need to say, hey, Jose, what, what wrestling is that? Oh, TNA, Impact Wrestling. No, you see the six-sided ring, you immediately, oh, Impact, okay, TNA. So other than that, you know, visual you know, a lot of wrestlers complained over the years about having a six-sided ring, and it did look goofy at times for some wrestlers who were being thrown into part of the ring, and because it was on an angle, they had to, like, you know, shift their motion. And, and uh, So I had no problem with them going back to the four-sided ring. And the funny thing is, if you look at wrestling history, people that document it and, you know, talk about Genesis, they complain. They complain that Hogan and Bischoff brought back the four-sided ring. But, uh, you know, for those that are curious to know, you know, the match results from that night, because remember, this is the first pay-per-view under the Hogan-Bischoff regime. Amazing Red over Brian Kendrick to retain the X-Division title. Sean Morley, who he knows Val Venus, defeating Christopher Daniels. I know some people are going to be like, huh? Tara defeated ODB 2 to nothing in a best of three falls to win the knockouts title. Matt Morgan and Hernandez defeated the British Invasion, which was Magnus and Douglas Williams to win the tag titles. Desmond Wolfe over D'Angelo De Niro. Beer Money uh, over Kevin Nash and Six Pac, who was substituting for Scott Hall, who was out with an injury. Kenny Anderson substituted uh, Bobby Lashley, who was not uh, on the card, defeated Abyss. And in the main event, AJ Styles over Kurt Angle to retain the TNA World Heavyweight title. That same week, 
TNA got into quite a bit of hot, hot water. I remember this audio. I still got the audio. Yes, I downloaded it again this week so I could get some better audio quality to it. I condensed it down a couple of minutes to really get to the meat and potatoes of this. But to me, this was the beginning of the downfall of TNA, in my opinion. I know it sounds ridiculous when I tell you what the moment is, but I can't tell Thank God I've been doing podcasts for so long because, yes, you go back to our our episode archive, DonTonyKevinCastle.com, go back to this week in 2010 and listen to the episode that Kevin and I did about this moment in TNA's history. Anybody who doesn't know me or know what I'm talking about, I'm the director of production here, and I try and get all the elements up on the show. This, this is Bernadette Everlaw. She's my She makes it for us to work. As cast members, I realize I've never included you guys in what your role is, or nor have I ever this. This is happening. Are you taking this? really <laughs> Just like going to a baseball game, man, you can get down on the, the bad pitcher, or you can be like those old New, York, New Orleans Saints where you wore a bag over your head. But you can't I understand that here. that here. But here, what we ask you, we wow. certainly want to entertain you. We hope we are giving you a great show that will enjoy and will be part of it. But most importantly, you have to help us tell a story to the two million people who watch the show. Sometimes you hear things going up here that, that are beyond what a child should hear or should be on TV. Those things, we spend money editing out, we erase it, it takes a lot of editing. What I cannot have from the audience is curses, flip birds, uh, yeah, gang like signs that I may not understand. There's a mic here, there's a mic under here, there's mics over here. And when you go in that, I can't, I cannot mute everything. So I ask you not to say BS. Say BS. Don't say, say the other thing. So if I ask you to remove a sign, I'm not even sure the reason. Somebody saw something in a truck, something may go on. Also, if you're obstructing somebody all night, we love signs, you know, but sometimes we ask signs. Totally no fun. Totally no fun. Totally no fun. Jesus. So please, let's keep it. Wow. It's active. It's 
TV 14, but let's watch what we say. No fingers, no cursing. Please, I know it's fun to try and distract the talent up here, but they got to tell a story to two million people. You're part of us. You're helping us tell the story. Please don't try and distract the story. Unless you're done. Thank you very much. You've done a great job. Thank you for Fucking cast members. And I got to be honest with you. I don't know. I've never searched it out. I could have searched this weekend and gotten my answer, but I really didn't think about it until now as I heard that segment again. This was the Bischoff-Hogan regime. I don't know if Bischoff has ever commented on the idea of telling the fans that they're cast members, that they have to help tell a story, that you can't do this, you can't do that, you must do this, you must do that. I mean, this was just the drizzling shits, and it fucking fell flat. It was embarrassing. I'm not blaming it on Hogan and Bischoff, but I got to know, you know, what they were thinking at that time. You know, with the whole thing with cast members, it, it was it was not good. And one year later was not good for TNA either. You know, uh, if you listen to my episodes of blah, 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 I talked this week about our President Trump calling Haiti uh, a shithole. And I spoke my opinions on it, how I felt about it. I'm not going to get into it here and don't try to assume that you know what my reaction was and everything because it's probably not what you're thinking. But this week in history, Haiti uh, was in the midst of disaster with the earthquakes. It was this week in 2011 that everybody was helping Haiti. I did the, the text, you know, text, blah, 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 and donate $10 to Haiti. I remember walking into Staples and Staples, when I went to pay for my office supplies, do you want to donate to Haiti? I went to another store at that time. You want to donate to everybody was trying to help Haiti. And it's sad to see, you know, that so much money was, you know, went to corruption and this and that. But TNA this week made announcements that on their upcoming tapings, they were going to bring donation boxes for the victims of the Haiti earthquake. And the money would be donated to the Central Florida headquarters of the American Red Cross and recently hired Bubba the Love Sponge, which I talked about in a, week, uh, a week or two ago on this show. Bubba the Love Sponge then goes on his Twitter after an announcement by TNA and says, and I quote, I say, fuck Haiti. Why do we have to take care of everybody? Our country is in shambles. Bubba, this leads to a physical confrontation between Bubba the Love Sponge and Awesome Kong, a.k.a. Karma, and as a result, they both were let go from the company. Fucked up. I remember Kevin and I doing an episode that week and felt really bad for Awesome Kong because she was, you know, very offended. I mean, we were all offended and we're not even Haitians. Can you imagine, you know, how Haitians felt? And, uh, you know, I don't think Awesome Kong should have been penalized for that. Bubba the Love Sponge was such a piece of shit and he, he deserved all the criticism that he got. So... That same week, Wrestlelicious announced that they have a TV deal in the United States and Canada, and it's going to be launched in the fall. You know, look, I don't 
enjoy Demise. I honestly don't. I know some people out there really do get a kick out of Demise, and some people do podcasts, and they have to live on Demise. They will shit on 95% of everything related to wrestling. They got to go against the grain. Me, I speak my mind. I will give props to stuff that deserve it, and I will criticize things that deserve it. And I don't enjoy Demise, but I will take pride. I will take pride, and longtime listeners will always remember this. And if you want to relive the whole scenario, we were doing podcasts at that time. This week in history, Wrestlelicious announced they had a TV deal in the United States and Canada. Wrestlelicious was an epic fail. You had this kid, 19 years old, Jonathan Vargas, won $35 million Powerball drawing. He was a wrestling fan. He fantasized being involved in wrestling. He had $35 million. Obviously, he didn't get all that because they take taxes out. He decided he was going to start his own women's wrestling promotion. He was going to be the pimp, and they were going to do all this stuff. And from day one, I absolutely shit on it. Day one, because I, I knew some of the women that were on the show that I interacted with on the indie scene, and they all said the same thing privately. And I'm not going to name drop anybody now, but they said, ah, oh, he's a nice kid and everything, but, you know, look, we're there. We're going to get a payday. It's, you know, it's nice to see all these women getting a little payday for the, the work that they're doing. Nobody took the promotion seriously. I remember Jimmy Hart and others being involved in it. Look, you go where the money is. And this guy, I mean, you, you, the definition of money, Mark, that was it. But hey, everybody got a payday. Everybody had fun. Yes, it was stupid. It was hokey. It was never going to be successful. And you know what's funny that I remember also? I remember all the websites that were desperately trying to get like money from advertising from this guy and kissing this guy's ass doing press release after press release about the promotion and trying to really make it. And look, if it was new and inventive and creative and it, and it really had legs to stand on, of course we're all going to push it and promote it. But you could see clear as day that people were uh, being obsessive about the product simply because they wanted to get involvement in the company. So there's some people out there that are desperate to be in the wrestling business, even if it's just as, as having a journalistic contact, you know, to go on a website and, and to write, you got a source and, and, you know, that's how some people are. And you see it even to this day. I don't give a shit about stuff like that. You know, I don't seek it. If it comes to me, fine, but I don't seek it. And you got to always remember, what I do are opinion shows. I give you my opinion back then, now, in the future, and that's how I always saw Wrestlelicious. It was a joke, and that's the way it ended up being. And this guy dumped a shitload of money into this. For what? He, he lived a fantasy. He wanted to be a promoter. He wanted to feel like he was in the wrestling business, and he spent a fucking boatload of money to do that. And you know what? Maybe if we had that kind of money also, we would turn around and say, hey, if you got the opportunity, you mean you wouldn't do it too? I might have. I might have. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, it was what it was. Remember a week or two ago, I told you about the title change where Evan Bourne and Kofi Kingston lost the tag titles to the Colognes at a house show? Well, it was because, it was last week, I think I talked about it. It was because Matt Bourne had uh, violated the wellness program for a second time. Well, it was this week, 2013, he was officially suspended for it. So last week, lost the tag titles. This week, he was suspended. 
This week also in 2013, and we're going to wrap this up momentarily. This week in 2013, WWE announced that Bob Backlund would be inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. Something that was long overdue, but WWE did not have a great relationship with Backlund over, you know, years. And it was nice to see him finally get put into the Hall of Fame. 2014, TNA presented Genesis from Huntsville, Alabama. This event, even though it was taped in one night, was presented on TV over two episodes of Impact. The reason why I'm bringing it up, Magnus defeated Sting to retain the heavyweight title. And as a result of this loss, Sting was fired from TNA. He was gone. That was the last event, last match he would be with TNA. His contract expired a month later, was not renewed. Raw from this week in 2014, Batista made his return to WWE after quitting the company in 2010. Remember the skinny jeans? Yep, this week, 2014. That same show, CM Punk defeated Billy Gunn on Raw. Why am I mentioning that match? That was CM Punk's last match ever on WWE. He would walk out of the company prior to Monday Night Raw the following week. So you'll probably hear me say next week in history, CM Punk walks out, to, out of WWE and has never returned. 2015, Alberto El Patron signs with Lucha Underground. This week also in 2015, you might remember this night. Remember the storyline with the Ascension, Connor and Victor putting down all the legendary tag teams? Well, it was this week. A Monday Night Raw in 2015 at the APA, the NWO and the New Age Outlaws showed up the 22nd anniversary of Raw, and they beat the crap out of Connor and Victor. And even though they all showed up on Raw that night, beating up the Ascension, that episode will be most remembered because it was the first ever Raw appearance for Sting. And finally, 2016, the rumors started to spread rampant that Austin Aries was finally going to sign a deal with WWE. Notable birthdays this week, and Vince McMahon caused a little bit of, I don't want to say controversy, but some confusion online. We'll get into that in a moment. But first, those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, Andy Kaufman, Pete Doherty, Arnold Skolin, Muhammad Ali. I know he wasn't a wrestler, but he did enough in wrestling. And Corsica Joe. Now, Pat Patterson and Ivan Putzke are celebrating their 77th birthday, but Vince shouting out Pat online this week gave him a happy 80th. So people almost immediately questioned Vince. In fact, people even posted screenshots of Pat Patterson's book where he says he was born in 1941, which makes him 77. So is he 80 or is he 77? Happy birthday, Adam Orner, 73, Paraguayo, 72, Tully Blanchard, and Ted DiBiase, 64. Alfred Poling, who you knew in ECW, is 9 He is celebrating his 60th. Mark Curtis, 56, Firebreaker Chip, 55. Sonny Blaze, 54. Batista turns 49. The fake Razor Ramon, Richard Bogner, age 48. Tigress, age 47. Tony DeVito and R-Truth celebrating their 46th. Takashi Sasaki, age 43. Kevin Thorne and Mascara Ano, 2000, Jr., celebrating their 41st. Chase Stevens and Kid Chaos, celebrating their 39th. Carl Anderson, 38. Go Shiozaki, 36. 
Maurice, happy birthday, celebrating her 35th. Corey Graves, Sam Shaw, and Alex Kozlov celebrating their 34th. Luke Robinson and Mark Briscoe celebrating their 33rd. And Tyler Breeze turns 30. Notable deaths this week. Al Costello died at the age of 80. The Sheik and Ida Mae Martinez at 78. Nick Gulas, Ability Kid at 76. Boba Brazil at 74. Ox Anderson, 71. Katsuhisa Shibata at 66. Iron Mike Sharp at 64. Savannah Jack at 63. Yeah, you notice sometimes people die the same week they celebrate birthdays. This week was the birthday of Sir Oliver Humperdinck. He also died this week at the age of 62. Ernie Holmes at 59. Eddie Graham at 55. Pez Watley died at 54. As I mentioned earlier, Bam Bam Bigelow and Jerry Blackwell both died at 45. Paulie Normus died at 33. And last but not least, Tony Lazaro died at age 28. And there you go. So I hope you enjoyed this week in wrestling history. I am Don Tony. As always, follow me on Twitter at Don Tony D. Check out the website, dontony.com. Our episode archives, dontonykevincastle.com. If you want to email me, it is dontony at dontony.com. And finally, if you like what we do, and you want to help support the show, help keep the lights going and keep us in business, consider our Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash Don Tony. Not only for as little as five bucks, you could help us tremendously with the expenses involved with the shows that we do, but we also have a boatload of Patreon exclusive content there. Every other week, you have episodes of Breakfast Soup hosted by yours truly, Anthony Missionary Thomas. Kevin Castle does a solo show over there bi-monthly. Uh, called Castle Chronicles. Bi-monthly, he does a, a very lighthearted, down-to-earth you know, chat with his friend Trez. They talk about movies, music, pop culture. So that's on there as well. Plus, we have giveaways, pay-per-view predictions contests. You interact with all of us like you don't anywhere else. So give it a shot. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. I have a feeling if you sign up, you will stick around for quite some time. And that's it. I'm out of here. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please Keep sending your feedback of what you like about it, things you may suggest that I add to it, take away from it. And uh, my appreciation, as always, for all of your support. Everyone be well. I'll see you all in a week. Ciao. So we're here at Marshall's with Liz for some holiday shopping. She's really nailing it this year, isn't she? Oh, yep. She's got a record player for Amy. A gorgeous cozy sweater for Jason. And some hot pink fluffy slippers for her sister. The perfect gift. Wait a sec. <gasps> She's getting a pair for herself. Well, with prices this good, it would be rude not to. You know what? She totally deserves it. Oh, totally. Happy holidays, everyone. See you at Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at Marshall's. Snow falls on an old apartment. Inside, the holiday season is in swing. On the first floor, Cokes are poured and stories shared among friends. Three flights up, one generation passes down the family recipe to the next. Inside every home, there's magic. Coca-Cola. Real magic. Enjoy the real magic of the season with close friends, family, and refreshing Coca-Cola paired with all your holiday meals.